You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a platform that we've created to bring the Nordic community together. My name is Paul Hackett, and I'm your host. So, on to another episode of the Evolution Exchange. Today, we will be discussing the future of marketing games. So, let's start with introductions. Uh, Farzan, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure. My name is Farzan Zand. I work for King as the Director of Suit Operations, focusing on coaching and helping people mostly. Brill. Uh, Laza. Hi there. I'm Ciprian Laza. I'm Senior Director of Development at DICE. I work mainly on Battlefield and Star Wars Battlefront. And I'm lucky enough to be again in the podcast and super interested in today's topic as I have a master's in strategic marketing and been working 12 years in development. Oh, wow. Uh, Zilla. <laughs> Hi everyone, uh, I'm Slad. Currently I'm working at Trovio as a senior product marketing manager on some recent Angry Birds titles, um, for example, Angry Birds Journey and uh, Angry Birds Dreamblast. Um, like, this is the first uh, time for me to do a podcast, so um, I'm pretty excited. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Cool. And uh, last but not least, Thomas. Yeah, hi guys. <clears throat> My name is Thomas. Uh, I am the head of marketing uh, at Systemic Reaction, uh, which is one of the two self-publishing divisions uh, at the Avalanche Studios Group. Um, I you know both love gaming and marketing, so uh, I'm always curious about uh, things to come. So I think this topic is something that uh, excites me a lot, and I'm uh, uh, super happy to be on the podcast. Brilliant. All right, well, let's kick it off with the first question. So Farzan wanted to know if a Game Pass joined forces with Netflix and added their game library to the Netflix library for easy access and playthrough cloud gaming, do you think it would have a big impact on the Game Pass market? Uh, Thomas, shall we send it over to you first? Yes, absolutely. No, I think this is a, this is a super interesting question, right? Because obviously we, we have seen uh, Game Pass now making its entry into the market uh, quite substantially through the efforts of Microsoft. Uh, Netflix specifically, of course, uh, have announced their uh, gaming ambitions. Uh, they already have a few mobile games out in the wild. Uh, so I think it's uh, obviously um, the combination of the two, I think it's, it's super, super interesting. So I was I was thinking about this and it's like how could that potentially play out and and I think uh, if you look at Netflix specifically I mean they have a lot of things going for them like obviously they have uh, they have the brand uh, they have a huge reach uh, I realized now just before the po- podcast I, I made, uh, made a quick check I think they have t- 220 million uh, subscribers currently uh, so put that in perspective uh, I believe Microsoft um, are around 25 million. They said in an interview last fall. So just to put that in perspective, obviously the reach for Netflix is huge within their the space they operate in. In of course uh, streaming services, but still like the potential audience there. Uh, and they have the tech setup. They have their own uh, like I think it's Open Connect servers, so like CDN structure. So like they have a lot of things going for them. So that's super interesting. I think. The question is like, what kind of gaming experience would their audience primarily be interested in, right? So, I'm not I'm not entirely sure uh, that they would be like a head-to-head competitor with like those sort of more core gaming services that we see today. Uh, but if you sort of think about 
how they can use games as a complementary service to uh, what they already provide in terms of you know expanding the experience of Stranger Things or, or whatever. I think, yeah, there's certainly uh, certainly potential there. And I mean, this is also essentially what they have alluded to in, in their current efforts into, into gaming. Uh, so, so yeah, I think that those are my, my main points. And the only other thing I would like to add is that uh, because the cloud gaming component is, is of course also something that a lot of companies, almost a lot of com companies have tried, but some companies have tried. And so far the execution has been, uh, it's, it's not been fully there, I believe, uh, it's, it's fair to say. I think that was probably one, one of the maybe main criticisms against uh, the stage efforts. It's like in terms of the technical execution, it's hard to actually get that sort of experience that we are now used to with with the the current gen consoles and so on uh so so i think that would be something obviously that would need to be sorted out and sold for and maybe uh, there's actually more opportunity within the more casual gaming space then uh, and, and because that audience might not be as um sort of picky about input lag and stuff like that but i think that would be also something that sort of speaks in favor of making this more of a casual um entry into the market maybe but yeah no i think the combination is super relevant and, and super interesting uh, mind if i jump in yeah uh, sure go that's for the it. point go for it yeah uh so i, I agree with what you've said and uh i'm ex especially interested in the cloud gaming aspect of it all mm. um, Google study as an example of thinking ahead in the future. I mean, users in general like to have it very convenient. They want to have easy mm. access to things. They don't want to have 10 different platforms. So we're thinking, for instance, what if Netflix just had, you know, you had the movie section and then the game section, and all you need to do is just go into games and select RPG, and you could select mm. your favorite RPG and just stream and play it. If they would make that, I think game passes would, you know, it would, it would explode because as I said they have the user base and that also adds the convenience as aspect there. We're just not there today because of te uh, techno restrictions, but things go fast. Mm -hmm. Once we're there, I think that would make it explode. But yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just want to mention uh, what I think is that so Netflix could be like a great extension towards the Game Pass market because uh, what Netflix is trying to do, I think, or what, what would make sense is that they they should to completely different audience because currently Game Pass is trying to catch actual gamers. But we know that uh, with the uh, growth of the gaming market, uh, especially when talking about mobile games, um, these, these high spenders are, are coming from non-gaming audiences. And I think uh, with Netflix being as a media company with, with huge reach, as, as you guys mentioned, I think um, it could be like a nice extension to, uh, you know, to, to reach non-gamers with a Game Pass. And, and <clears throat> make, make uh, you know, uh, or, or entertain non-gamers with gaming experiences who doesn't necessarily call themselves gamers, mm. for example. I think you guys already touched on a lot of good points there. And uh, I think it's just, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it mm. happens. It, it, maybe not Netflix, but one of the giant streaming services is definitely going for it. I'm sure there's business uh, directors listening to the podcast and they're like, like just just wait, it's, <laughs> it's in the works. Yeah. But uh, I think there's such a, I mean, we've already seen Netflix dabbling a little bit into, you know, with mobile gaming and they already had, 
previously an interactive movie with Black Mirror. Mm. There's such a concept of interactive movie gaming in the HD console, so that the bridge is kind of there, and and all trends point towards it. But I just think there is such a thing as well as being too early, and just like Fazan said, the uh, you know the tech is is not there yet. It's there's restrictions on on gameplay and lag, and there's definitely a cost restriction as well. They're they're mm. quite expensive, mm. but once you have that un- unlock that this is probably gonna spill in a little bit in my question later on but once you have that unlock and you and you reach that 220 million or however much is going to be in the next couple of years and you don't need the hardware anymore yeah that that just unlocks so much more potential for business opportunities and business models and mm. also the technology on on the uh like network side has like highly developed, for example, um, 5G is becoming a big thing. So uh, it will, you know, break the barriers of being able to um, play, um, like, you know, in a uh, quality uh, manner. Yeah. I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I was just saying that. So I think it's, it's makes a lot of sense, of course, where they, where Netflix are specifically right now, where you're at with their like the sort of mobile first approach because there of course they don't have that same issue as maybe then stadia run into uh, with the the technical difficulties of actually sort of mimicking this console experience on um without the hardware essentially uh so so from that perspective uh, it makes of course a lot of sense for uh sort of as a first foray into this uh, to start with mobile and um and i think you're right there um that we will probably touch upon this uh, later in, in this conversation, but just how they used, I mean, the current games they have out there actually sort of to extend the experience with the, with their shows essentially. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's super interesting. I think though one, one challenge or opportunity to be solved later on is uh, as we get more and more into subscriptions and, you know, basically everybody can afford the service. It's just a matter of how many services you want to keep at the same time. I think companies don't fight anymore over that purchase point. They fight now over your time. Mm. And it's it becomes weird if the streaming service kind of pushes you out towards the gaming experience like, like it does now because mobile is not... It, it's smart that it's there because you already have the hardware and mm. they probably know that, you know, people already watch on smartphones and tablets mainly. But it's a completely external experience. So into the future, if it's more integrated in a way and it doesn't push you out of the service, I think that's that's a good opportunity to look into. Mm. But it also, I think, begs the question is like, um, is the audience interested in, in this in this offering? Um, and obviously, now we're talking about Netflix specifically, but but I mean, I think we could both the same question for any kind of streaming service. So you have an audience who's there to enjoy shows, essentially, like stream uh, TV series. And um, I'm, I hope and, and believe that uh, the, the gaming audience, I mean, will continue to grow and, and people will uh, discover uh, what I believe is a, is a great form of entertainment and, and art. Um, but I think it's not a given that a, a person who subscribed to Netflix uh, would also enjoy like you know the gaming experience and and that also I think to put some um, 
emphasis on the kind of content uh, you provide, right? So like if, because if it's an extension of a, a streaming service offering, then, then I guess it's one kind of content. But if, if it is like a, you know, another approach would be to be like a full on a competitor to well, the current platforms holders essentially and, and try to get a new audience through, through gaming. But that would, I guess, require a different strategy with a different kind of, of content offering, a different kind of game, games essentially uh, offered in the service. I guess uh, a way to get uh, gamers interested. Uh, I mean, gamers as a group quite often, when they want to play a game, they know when it's coming out and it's released, and they quite mm. often pick it up on release. Game passes in quite often don't have the game on release. They have months old game or sometimes years old games. But if they, for instance, release a game that is very hyped and said, "Hey, you can play it from day one on from whichever streaming service on this Game Pass," people would be more willing to jump on that as they have a means to play it from release instead mm. of waiting half a year to play the game they want to play because then they would just buy it instead of playing it over stream so that mm. might be a way to get people interested in jumping to the streaming service and do a game pass yeah but no, no I, cost. <laughs> that's right and that's a good point but i think i would argue in this context that that audience who who is interested in sort of you know jumping on those like uh they won uh games and 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 um are aware of when their favorite game is launched like uh, they currently i think have a home in in the current like i mean the the game pass that, that microsoft is offering essentially and and uh, um i wouldn't be surprised if we see more day one releases on on game pass for them um further down the line so i think the argument i'm i'm trying to make here is that maybe uh the streaming services the the video streaming services that is uh their opportunity could be to to cater to a different kind of audience who is perhaps more casual, more interested in a casual gaming experience, um, and sure. um, yeah, uh, to to sort of add to to their their content offering rather. Um. Sure. I mean, they did that a little bit with the Black Mirror, didn't they? Like, yeah, okay, made it All a bit interactive. Mm. So. There's a gateway into gaming by interacting with shows and then flipping it even further down the line to then having these Walking Dead type episode games, which are just basically stories with mm. very minimal input. Uh, and from there, you know, it's a down, you know, fall down the rabbit hole, don't you? So moving on to the next question then. Uh, I think I'll take Cyprian's because it's most relevant based on what we've currently been discussing which was with gaming leading the entertainment industry on innovation and revenue, when and how can we transform the way entertainment is consumed through gaming? Uh, Laz, do you want to just give some context around that for everyone before we kick it off? Yeah, sure. definitely. And it's, it's, it is very much related to the previous question. So even now, 2022, I think uh, entertainment is still very much compartmentalized and, and, and consumed in boxes. You know, you want to watch your streaming service, you go on your smartphone, tablet, smart TV, you want a game, you sit down on the couch or in your gaming chair and you game uh, HD. I mean, um, you want to watch some short clips, you go on YouTube and, and stuff like that. You know, it's very much, although I think there's so many patterns out there for us as consumers of, of all these services you know you you watch a movie on netflix and then you click around and you probably play a mobile game so you are doing two things at once or you play on your console and you listen to a video or maybe on twitch you you watch someone else playing as well so there are already patterns and there's already this appetite 
but still, you know, everything is still, yeah, pretty much in boxes and it doesn't, it's not intertwined. And I think it's kind of the duty of gaming nowadays with, with it breaking all records, all records in entertainment uh, to kind of, you know, blend in a little bit and change a bit the pattern of how we consume. So I guess it's, what do you think is going to be something that triggers it and, and something that fuels a little bit more this. Yeah. Is, is this when, is this the first time in the podcast where we're going to mention the word, word metaverse by any chance? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> I might as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can imagine, you know, games becoming actually platforms. Uh, some, some of the games are actually successful platforms. Uh, if we take, for example, Rockstar against GTA V, I think it's 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 a game that just you know extends and extends and extends. But in the future, uh, game gaming as an entertainment industry becoming leader, I think there is a chance that it can be you know like a central point to connect even other entertainment industries. Let's say it could connect uh, the music industry, even the music, uh, uh, the the movie industry, or even going further. Um, with specific audiences in mind. So, so uh, for example, the game has like a specific audience. It can attract different brands into the game. And also uh, with this in mind, it can even touch other industries, which is not, not entertainment. So for example, talking about fashion industry. So uh, if there's, let's say, take Fortnite, uh, we can imagine fashion brands, you know, um, becoming present in this type of games with different, uh, you know, products. Or we can imagine product launches in these type of games. Uh, so I think I think uh, under a, a specific set of rules, which could be like the core game design, um, the opportunities are endless, you know, what, what we could do with that. Also, I can imagine uh, games being um, the future of advertising as well, you know, as being um, a specific set of advertising, uh, advertisement channel, for example. Yeah, I mean, they're actually using Unreal Engine for a lot of commercial things that aren't technically related yeah. to games, even though it's a gaming exactly. engine. I mean, the real estate market is using Unreal to create virtual environments at their homes. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they use Unreal Engine a lot for the effects in The Mandalorian. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's my understanding as well. Uh, Mandalorian as well as um, uh, Westworld. Oh, Westworld. Uh, yeah, so so I think you, you can already sort of see this this crossover uh, happening. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and also just the fact, but the fact that that we are now using essentially the same tech, uh, obviously, uh, you know, allows for much more opportunity to actually like create a, a coherent experience. Um, but I was, I was thinking about this sort of the other way around because obviously, I mean, I mean, the metaverse angle is is the obvious one here, and I think you guys covered it covered it well. But I think uh, we can also look at it from sort of the other perspective, um, and and in terms of just you know. A shared narrative experience that is not confined to either movie or a series or uh, games, but that they sort of rather in reinforce each other. And I think that's a little bit back to the conversation we just had about well, Netflix in, in that example. But you sort of have that connected universe, like like obviously what Marvel does, for example, very well, where you have like you have the movie and then you have the series that ties into to the uh, the movies. And then obviously it's not a very far stretch of your imagination to think, okay, then you can also have like a, a game experience that sort of ties into to that. And um, I, that is of course a bit more old school, but I think it's, it's still a bit underutilized. Uh, so especially if we get into a, a space where 
games are not only sort of consumed on the traditional platform, but actually are available for in streaming services, for example. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that. And then it certainly helps if the movie and the game are built on the same tech, for example, <laughs> as with Mandalorian. So, so, so yeah, I certainly think that we're going to see more of that. And, and yeah, I think that's something that's super exciting. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, I, I think, I think you're probably touching on something, uh, really, really re relevant here. And I think, you know, we've been talking the previous question as well, a lot about Netflix and gaming or the giant streaming services and gaming, which yeah, makes a lot of sense. They have a lot of reach, uh, you know, people are using, uh, smartphones, tablets, and all of that. So probably the, the beginning of the hardware is there, but I think there's other opportunities as well, for example, um probably sports are mm. in general are probably the easiest to get people together around these experiences you have a lot of reach and you have the competitive aspect and the understanding of the gameplay right the gameplay is in self-explanatory within the sport so i think there's so many streaming i don't know television services that can be bundled together or can can intertwine a little bit this experience a little bit more mm. and not not necessarily talking about football, but all all sports out there. You know, you can have something like picture in picture, watch your live, your you know, whatever match, and then you can push out results, fixtures, and all of that within within the title, and or you can just replay a favorite moment or something like that. So I think there's there's definitely opportunities there. It's just yeah, yeah, and that also obviously ties into both AR and, and VR is a little bit of a tangent, but but I think certainly has some, some relevance in this in this context. I mean, especially if you go back to where we started this conversation, but the, the metaverse and and former former Facebook now Meta, who is obviously very invested in in this whole virtual reality experience of this metaverse. Um, and um, I think that's also it's it's interesting because it's it's like VR specifically has been on the verge of breakthrough for the past 30 years, essentially. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always like been, you know, just six months away, but never really took off. Uh, but now it seems like maybe maybe the stars aligned uh, a little bit more, a little bit better, and, and we're actually gonna gonna see it come to fruition. But but at the same time. We still have those obstacles as before. Like it's a bit clunky. It's it's very sort of excluding, uh, sort of from your actual space that you're actually in, and and all those uh, technical issues are still there. So, so I don't know if this if this is is the time or if it's going to be an, another full start. But but I think it's it's probably. I think every everything is pointing more towards no hardware rather than as yeah. more hardware. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. That's a good point. Um, I saw this Reddit post now that we talk about Facebook and VR, and uh, if it's true, it's pretty surprising yet amazing uh, that in 2021, uh, Oculus Quest sold more devices uh, than Xbox did. Oh, okay, I, wow. I wouldn't know that, but that's, that's but interesting. I saw that on Reddit, so if that's true, that's the source <laughs> of Reddit, so don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they did still surprising a lot of devices. We can uh, we can start there. So it is growing pretty big. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that's holding it back right now, they they solved one of the problems with you know it being very inconvenient to use with the cords and the, and the stations yeah. and everything. Uh, now the second problem is that the in the in house computer well it's basically a very strong mobile phone. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't have the capacity to create very very beautiful VR. I mean, once that is solved, I think we're gonna see a lot more VR. Yeah, we're getting there. Now that, that, that's super interesting. But sort of looking at where we are today, ex- sort of excluding VR, uh, but sort of in the sort of the, the whole metaverse space. I mean, uh, I think Siller, you ma- you mentioned some of some of the current players like you know Roblox. You have um, Minecraft, and you have. Fortnite, yeah. I guess, that sort of qualifies as you know this sort of persistent world where you can actually meet and, and socialize and, and create together with your uh, with your friends, which I guess is a sort of a loose definition of of the promise of of metaverse. Something that strikes me with those platforms and, and maybe uh, Roblox and, and Fortnite in particular is that in terms of marketing, um, it's it's brands from outside the industry that has managed to capitalize on it. Uh, it's, uh, I think, one of the examples you mentioned has already happened with with clothing lines being launched in in Fortnite, for example, and um, a multitude of brands making experiences for Roblox. Um, and that that I think is interesting, and it kind of makes sense because it's uh, not super intuitive how to market your game inside another game. Um, but still, it's it's uh, I think a testament to the strength of those platforms that that more sort of traditional brands have have already caught up and and in some instances are already sort of surpass, surpassing us uh, in terms of capitalizing on on the sort of marketing opportunities of of those uh, of those platforms. Indeed. Although I think it's interesting to think of like um, how how much we are going towards a direction that we could see in Ready Player One, for example. So mm-hmm. will we have like real social connections and experiences in this type of games for example we will watch together a netflix movie in a game you know we just we go to like like a digital place where it's going to be projected for example or because like uh, we already saw uh, great concerts happening in fortnite and in roblox as well so uh, it's so interesting or maybe um following um facebook's metaverse uh, vision um are we going to, you know, work in games or in these type of adverses, you know, when we can go to each other and talk to each other in a virtual space, for example, while working in home office? <laughs> and, would, and would we want to? I think also is, is, is a fair question. Like, at, at what point do, do we feel that no, no, actually, like, as, as good as it is to experience a concert in, in Fortnite, I would much rather actually go down to the pub, have a beer with my, my friends and watch a live band. There, you know, so I think we sort of getting into that territory as well. It's like the tech, exactly. and the platforms are there, but is is that really what what we as as players or consumers essentially uh, want uh, in the end? Well, they are experimenting. Uh, uh, there's an app, uh, a cinema app on the Oculus Quest, where you're you're playing a game because you're in a VR world. You're sitting in a cinema with other people, mm. and you're watching a movie in the game. So, are you mm. watching a movie or you're playing a game or? <laughs> So that that's already happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, not in astronomical numbers, but it got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, I think it was in in GTA where like you you could play platform games within the game. So basically, Tetris <laughs> in a game. You know, it's it's so crazy. But actually, to, to me, it was a nice experience to to try that. 
<laughs> Inception going on there. <laughs> Indeed. So we can move on to Thomas's question then, which is what are the major trends shaping gaming marketing in the next five years? We've obviously touched on a few of those already, but uh, do you want to give some additional thoughts and context on what you're trying to get out of that question, Thomas? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think, you know, as as a marketeer, uh, you know, a key priority is to try to figure out what what our players uh, like, what they want, uh, so where they want to go in in terms of you know content they want to see, platforms they want to interact with us, uh, channels, and so on, and and uh, you know, sort of identifying what the relevant uh, marketing trends are, uh, I think is, is so important because that allows us to adapt our strategies in time to actually then meet our players where they want to, to have a conversation with us. Um, so uh, I'm thinking a lot about this, what this means in terms of, you know, like in the AA games and uh, on PC and console, um, which is I don't know, the space I operate within, but but I'm very curious to hear your guys' thoughts on, uh, you know, what major trends, uh, marketing trends you're seeing, like in in general, uh, but uh, also like perhaps specifically from uh, the the pers- perspective that that you operate within, if it's mobile or uh, AAA games and and so on. I'll say, oh, sorry, no, by all means, I was gonna well, okay. initiate. Uh, go for it. Upset one of one of the major trends is community outreach. Basically, mm. the 20 years ago before internet, it was just basically your newspaper and the game. Now everything is basically community-based. It's not only players interacting with other players uh, in other forums, it's also how the developers interact with players themselves. I mean, what views a player has of a company making the game is more important today than it has ever been. I mean, if a company does something that is very frowned upon, they will lose players. And if they are doing something that uh, players really uh, respect and appreciate, like for instance, Final Fantasy XIV, they have a very strong fan base that will really defend that game uh, I mean, with real passion. And that is one of the main strengths of that game, I think. Community strength, that's a big change. I think live ops becoming very, very important. And it's on, on a mobile scene. Uh, we can mainly see, so, so the big successful games are, are live ops games because, you know, um, not just, you know, you, you create like a platform following my thoughts from previous uh, question. You're creating a platform where you can continuously push out um, different kinds of content. And, you know, um, you can create different seasons or combine it with the subscription-based model, you know, to, to build in um, a battle pass system in a game where you can pay X amount of money to get different type of content through different tiers. Uh, but I think the marketing opportunity here is that if you thematize these seasons, so under your, your big brand, you can have like sub-brands, you can build different types of partnerships, connect to that uh, to that season, um, and you can tap into maybe different motivations if you, you try to uh, build um, new features in the game, speaking to different motivations, and also it opens you different entry doors for different interests as well. So let's say you're partnering up with a different brand that you connect it to the season. Um, you can create even uh, further monetization opportunities with this brand together. So I think uh, like live ops games and, and live operations um, can have like uh, very, very interesting marketing opportunities in, in currently, but in the future as well. Manifask, yeah, I mean, we use seasons in uh, Candy Crush too, and it's uh, very yeah. successful and it's, it's everywhere, but it just, 
sneaked up from behind and he wasn't there every, every time. Where did seasons come from? I mean, what was, you know, what made it big? Anyone know? I think uh, the opportunity to shift your product toward open waters, I think this is where it, it shines actually. So, so you're not trying to focus on only on the specific audience, but trying to get new audiences by shifting the overall, you know, theme of the game towards something else a little bit. Yeah, and I, uh, so, th so this, um, this I don't know, this is like when I first was made aware of Seasons, I think it was uh, at the dawn of the, the Battle Royale, um, like when when that genre really hit in, 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 in earnest, so PUBG and, and Fortnite, and uh, with the introduction of the Battle Passes. Um, yeah. So it, as far as I recall, <laughs> that was when Seasons really became something like that, that the, the, the industry structured their, their uh, services uh, around because it was like at the end of the battle pass, you obviously you needed to provide the place with a new battle pass, but in, in order to frame that in a meaningful way, you had the Seasons and, and the content updates that, that came with it. But it's important to remember here that, so in terms of Seasons then, it's like, the concept of a sort of live service, a live ops game, obviously it's much older. I mean, I mean, World of Warcraft is a great example of a very successful live game without seasons. <laughs> well, I guess I have now, but you, you, you get my point. It's, it's, uh, it's been around for ages, but now it's sort of been refined into this seasonal uh, structure. Yeah, I think like, um, just talking about Battle Pass, uh, I think it's, it's a great call, not just monetization, but retention opportunity as well or uh, option because um, you're not just so so, so you, for example for a set of money that uh, you can have like a great variety of content but you need to actually grind for it a little bit you need to work for that so it it um it helps also the game's retention but also the monetization as well because it's like a good deal a good package for the players provides so another element to the game as a player so. exactly and yeah, I, I agree with reasons. Yeah, so I agree with Farzan and Silard about you know community community outreach and live ops, and we talked a lot about previous you know other other trends and other uh, phenomena happening in in within marketing and gaming, um, cloud gaming and cloud streaming of gaming services is definitely coming. I think it's probably a couple of years away since when it's going to be feasible and another thing that Silar mentioned earlier which i think is going to be a reality soon is is actually advertising in games there's a lot of open games that feel like actual worlds but everything within them is fake imagine how strong it would be to actually drink or have coca-cola and have a mcdonald's in a gta game it would make it feel even even more realistic than it already is mm. um, but i think you know, these are some of definitely some of the trends that are coming, and some of them have been coming for many years. It just haven't been perfected yet. I think we still think about when we think about trends and target audience and consumer behavior and all that. We're still very much focusing on the West side of the world. We have mm -hmm. so much a, a big part of the world that we still haven't massively and you know, yeah, managed to penetrate as a market and and you know. I think once you have that unlock of not having requiring hardware, for example, for gaming, all of a sudden the game is, you know, 10, 10x 
mm. uh, not needing your PS5 to play something, then you don't reach out to 20 million players. You reach out to a billion, yeah. potentially. Uh, also, talking about advertisement, it's great that you mentioned, because I think uh, in, in a post-IDFP world, in a privacy-first world, you know, when um, actually... Um, um, so coming from mobile, so 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 uh, on on iOS, uh, your opportunities are limited in terms of uh, um, collecting or deep diving into the data as as it was before. Uh, but I think games can give an opportunity for brands to advertise to actually target specific audiences. Because if you want to advertise in a specific game, uh, you know that audience research that audience, and you can clearly advertise your brand to that one, for example. I think uh, it can be interesting uh, once it's getting bigger and bigger in the future. Mm. Picking up on your point, uh, uh, Larsa, from uh, about the, the other markets, other than Western markets. So something that I've been sort of keeping an eye on is, is of course, the, the streaming and content community, uh, content creator community. And um, so in terms of as trans goes, I, I, I think that will continue for sure uh i was i was looking through some a report from uh, basically streaming from from last year and it's uh, amazed me to see that even though this this was twitch i believe it was twitch it got a huge spike of course in terms of viewership for 2020 because of covid people didn't have much else to do rather than sit at home and, and, and watch uh streams so, so it was a huge uh, bump but then in 2021 it actually increased on top of that. Uh, so I think that that space is, of course, still super relevant. And now I'm slowly, slowly waking, making my way to, to a point there. Um, so bec because in, uh, so, so when we think about streaming, it's still quite like traditional, it's PC console and, and like that kind of stream content. Um, but uh, as I read there, it's like, obviously mobile streaming is, is coming strong and, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, currently in in Southeast Asia, in terms of esports streaming, it's, it's actually two mobile games that are the most streamed games. And wow. yeah, and that that I think is something that uh, it doesn't you know feel super intuitive for us, who are quite focused now on the sort of the the, the Western market. Uh, but but in terms of trends, that I think that's League of Legends, Wild Rift is a big one. Um, yeah, PUBG Mobile is huge yeah, that was the yeah. out there for sure. I was actually waiting for somebody to mention Twitch because I've bought several games purely off the back of watching some dude play it online. <laughs> so, like, 40 that's, minutes in, we're finally there. <laughs> that's super interesting because that actually set, settles a, a age-old debate we're having, uh, and that is where in the funnel are streamers? Are they a top-of-funnel awareness uh, activity or are they a bottom-of-funnel actually conversion uh, activity? But uh, then uh, I think we have now some evidence for actual conversion, so that's great. That's good. I'll, <laughs> we'll bring I'll that be with totally us. honest. I didn't even know about Lost Ark until I saw Shroud play it for like mm. nine hours. So it's like I didn't watch nine hours of him doing it, but it's just yeah. like, you know, this kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. I... Uh, Actually, I had, I had a, another thought on, on on the trends and stuff that I've been seeing, and and this this might be actually uh, relevant for for you, Larsa, in terms of triple A games, because something that that I see coming quite strong is is um, the need for sort of transparency and community uh, involvement, and I think Tharson, you also touched upon this, and it's like 
back in the day, certainly for, for AAA games, it was quite um, clear how you approach the market with your new game. You had your like your fancy announcement trailer with a lot of CGI, and and then you know follow up with you know some some gameplay date reveal, and then eventually like a, a launch trailer. But it, it was a lot of things going on behind the scenes, um, or is uh, still a, a, to some uh, to some extent. Whereas in the, I think what we're seeing now is is of increased demand for basically transparency from the devs and certainly within the in the AA space uh, that has been going on for for quite some time. Uh, but my my sort of thinking here is that with you know services like Kickstarter, uh, I know. Um, or saw that um, our uh, streaming friend, <laughs> Dr. Disrespect, who's, you know, obviously launched his own AAA studio, he's making a big, or they are making a big statement about this day zero community sentiment where they really want to involve people from the get-go. So I'm thinking that maybe this sort of whole working behind the scenes, grand reveal strategy is actually on its way to, yeah, be replaced with a more more transparent uh, sort of... Uh, I think you're onto something there, and I think I think it's two different things. One is this probably the the consumers are ready to move on from this blockbuster type announcement. Mm-hmm. And you know, if if you if you look at the movie industry, how it was 20 years ago versus now, it was always this. You know, it's in cinema. Here's the big trailer. Go and see it. We make a ton of money in the first two weeks, and then it's dead. Whereas now. You know, people consume more series on streaming services way more than going to the cinema watching a blockbuster, with exceptions, of course. And the other thing is, I think, like Farza mentioned on community, it's it's the actual brand. People, you know, the gaming companies are there. It's a mature industry, and people tend to have likenesses and to brands and and identify themselves with brands. Um, I, mm. And I think, yeah, for for good and for bad. Like, look at CD Projekt Red, right? They they have it really well for a while, and then when they they didn't, it was it was pretty pretty bad for them. For example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on to the next question, I saw you want to jump in, Paul. Mind if I? No, uh, no, 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 no problem. Uh, I think it's pretty cool how the entire streaming thing went from oh no, people are showing our games to everyone; they're not gonna buy it. <laughs> to companies going hey. You want to show our game five years, five days early? It's mm. all yours, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that just went overnight. And I, I personally love that change because others in this forum, I love Twitch, and I often go into Twitch and say, "Oh, what should I play now or mm. watch now?" Uh, I just think that's cool. What do you all think? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And it's interesting, like how that sort of, I mean, because that that was re- really a grassroots movement. Like, remember how Twitch used to be this like very like specific website called I think called justin.tv and it's like really enthusiasts starting the whole thing and you know it, it, it grew momentum and I think to your point there like the, the publishers and, and the, the rights holder they didn't really catch up quickly enough but then then when it hit I think everyone saw sort opportunities so so yeah it's uh, looking back it, it feels weird that, that that was something that that we would push against rather than, than encourage yeah. Sure. All right. So on to the final question then from Zillard. Uh, how much are the platforms pushing and helping developers to make and market games in live operations? Uh, Zillard, do you want to give some context around that? Yeah. For the guys. Oh, okay. uh, 
in mobile, like the gatekeepers, Apple and Google are like constantly pushing you to to update your games, um, push out new content because you know users, as as we talked about, like as we see, is people like to enjoy um, that specific product or brand for longer, longer times. So and and in in mobile, like uh, you can get advantage uh, over, let's say, premium games or games who doesn't um, update that frequently. Uh, with like you know extra featuring opportunities from pop so 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 they give you like um extra opportunities to market your games as well uh if if you know push push out new and new content continuously so what's uh what's the status in in the pc and, and console gaming industry how, how are the platforms team for example Microsoft pushing you to make games and try to you know prolong the life cycle of a product um I can I can sort of share some some thoughts on on the PC perspective uh, and, and Steam and I think there it's uh, so so obviously Steam in terms of when we publish games or like I mean we as a sort of collective industry it's it's quite a lot of sort of self service uh, platform um, so it's it's very much in the hands of each individual developer and, and, and publisher. Um, to decide like when when and where to publish updates but they do i mean and that's obviously no secret anyone who uses steam can you know see that that there is an opportunity to, to communicate with your community uh sorry, there's an opportunity to communi communicate with, with your community when you do publish an update uh so there's certainly a benefit i think for for anyone to to make, make have that steady cadence of of content sort of but but to me that's really up to the the dev and the publisher in terms of what makes sense for your game. You know, if that if that makes sense. Um, so uh, just sort of publish an update just um, for the sake of it. I I don't f I don't think we have that same dynamic uh, really on, on on PC and console. And do you see like like? No, I agree. No, I agree there. I, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, as with all of this. But I think it's a different, different dynamic in probably in, in HD versus mobile, and it's probably because there's a different in consumer patterns there. You know, you still you're still used to pay that sixty bucks upfront and then play the game. And if the game is not good now or when you buy it, you yeah, you're not happy about your purchase. Whereas a lot of mobile games are free. And the other one is probably stake. You know, you have first parties. Uh, I think in mobile, the, the, the most uh, similar would be Apple with its Apple Store. But it's still probably not the same, quite the same thing. But yeah, you have first parties and they need to make sure that the game works first and foremost before you're pushing out an update. So I would say in some cases, this is probably the opposite pattern where you know you need to slow down a little bit and make sure that what you push out is solid. Mm. I think an excellent point, point that it depends a lot on the entire marketing strategy and how they want to make money. I mean, do you want to have all the money up front, like God of War, or <laughs> do you want the money to you know come over time, like the free take it's like Fortnite? I mean, the the entire strategy is different. One is more you you do this, you drop it, and then you move on. The other one is you gotta keep working on it, and it just completely different strategies. It depends on the game. Yeah. I think maybe maybe um, Game Pass can can give you like an opportunity to have like a hybrid model because um, if you pitch to Game Pass and you you start on Game Pass. Uh, you can you now 
cover at least uh, the development costs, but also you can further market your game and you can still build, you know, IAPs in your game and you can further continue in, in live operations and uh, get um, even grow, grow even further. Mm. No, I, I still I think there's going to be differences. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I think st still think even even within the game pass itself, I still think there's going to be differences in between devs, and and that is you know if it's if it's an independent game that is part of game pass, or if it's a game part of you know their own portfolio. Um, that and that's that's the differences in patterns that we're going to see, probably mm. pushing out more, or, yeah, taking it slower. Yeah, I think like the differences might come. Um, um, from from the different monetization models, because uh, on, on Game Passes, many of the games are premium games uh, primarily, uh, while on on mobile, um, the actual platforms that on Google can you know, make extra revenue uh, uh, with the royalties that can uh, be on the top of your um, that can be deducted from from the IAPs in the game. So so they are pushing all the games and all the products either for the subscription model or either for the IAP model. I think for for Game Pass, um, it presents you know an, an, an interesting challenge for for us as, as marketeers because obviously you have a very very low uh, barrier of entry and it's it's you know it's essentially zero for for a consumer who already bought into to the Game Pass ecosystem. So it's it's much then then it's much more about actually making sure that the first impression you you. Um, you present is is on point <laughs> you know all the way from like you know very striking key art down to to the trailer you have there to the description and, and whatnot to to then you're sort of really fighting on a, uh, almost like an, an even even playing field with all the other games uh, and, and that i think it forces everyone to sort of hone their craft a little bit uh, i would argue and, and that's something i'm uh, i'm very uh, excited about but on the back end of that like Obviously, there's a very low barrier of exit as well because the player probably isn't as committed to a game on, on they, they're playing on Game Pass versus a, a game they paid full price for. And, and regardless, if you have if you have monetization in the game, obviously you're you're very committed to make, to making people stay there. But but even if you don't, if if you if you are a sort of a, I know a sort of one-off experience, not not a, a monetized game in that sense, obviously retaining players and and um, finding ways to uh, continue the conversation with with the people who try the game i think that 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 is going to be one of the like the key skills for like marketeers going going forward now so if you have a huge influx to to your game through game post regardless of monetization like being the players who are able to sort of maintain that dialogue uh, i think they're very well set up then for the next the next game or the dlc or, or whatever so there, there i think is a it's a huge opportunity, but it does require a very specific skill set for for the marketeers. But even if it succeeds, Thank if it's uh, if it's uh, is it a game though? Because if let's say you're releasing a game and you know it's going to be like a game of the year candidate, I'm looking at you, Elden Ring. We know what you had. <laughs> uh, they know that 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 game's going to sell a lot. And if they had the opportunity to put it on like Game Pass, regardless of how many people play it, wouldn't that game wouldn't they lose a lot of money? I mean, isn't that a problem since games cost a lot to make. I, I mean, think it's like uh, Disney Plus did right with uh, with uh, Black Widow, and they they still they still uh, had the uh, at first in cinemas or something like that deal 
and then it comes to the streaming service. So yeah, there's there's something there. And I think it's something there as well, Thomas, what you said. It was interesting. You were talking about marketing trends earlier, and now you're talking about uh, the very craft of marketeers mm. and how that changes with Game Pass. I think that's interesting, right? That's a that's a trend. If more more and more games go to Game Pass, it's probably uh, your your opinion as marketing specialist becomes more and more relevant within the creative and the software craft rather than externally. No, uh, uh, thank you for that because I think that's that's a point that's quite. I think it's quite important for for our discipline. It's like when the the circumstances circumstances change for our market i think it is very important that anyone who sort of operates within this this space as a, as a marketeer for for games need to i guess adapt and, and evolve in in a sense you can imagine that everyone working uh, as a marketeer has time of their life now because they have first so many tools to use from that they didn't mm. have in the past and every year is different from the year before <laughs> and, uh, everyone in this industry we, we like change we like yeah. things being dynamic so could imagine you're all enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it, it is exciting uh, for sure. But but uh, but also it's, it's not without its challenges. I mean, honestly, to to point there, just just the, the the toolbox, like it's so wide and so deep currently. So the problem is is rather to figure out which tools to use and, and which one are actually like will help will help you reach the goals that that you have set out for your product and and which are just you know. Uh, uh, Basically, it's going to be a waste of your time. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I should say. Um, just picking up your thought, Thomas, uh, about um, uh, building the relationship and the conversation um, in live also with, with the users. I think like you can see the trend that, uh, at least in mobile, that user centricity is is becoming even more important than ever. So, so to keep this conversation going, it's very important, and also. Know to see uh, the reaction of the users, like how they would like to see your product in the market, is is very important. And we can see the trend in mobile that, you know, um, it's at Rovio, so we have that mentality of fifty percent marketing, fifty percent development, and also even trying to feed back um, these these learnings from user acquisition into game development. So to really in in live uh, develop games, uh, which really follows the trends and what people want. So. Yeah, no, totally, and I think that that's back to this whole sort of transparency or or the demand for for transparency, which I think cannot be uh, understated, and and I think that's that's also one of the things that makes you know being a marketeer within gaming right now so interesting because the days okay. of the the sort of one way communication they are long gone, and and we are now. Uh, lucky, lucky enough to have a, an actual dialogue uh, with with uh, with players, and I think that's yeah, super super exciting. To include the devs in on this, though, obviously you got two people in marketing, two people here from the you know leading dev teams on studios themselves. How long does it take for you to get that marketing knowledge and research done before it gets to Laza, before it gets to Farzan, for them to actually be able to implement it? So how does, personally from you guys, how does that work? And I'd be interested to know from like mm. Lazar and Farza and like, you know, where do you yeah, get I mean, more info from? <laughs> we have, uh, we have, I guess, the the tools and the, 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 the means to get the information is probably night and day between Dice and King. And, you know, when you work on a AAA game that has a, a bi-yearly or a every three-year 
release. You do a lot of marketing research and you have a lot of different marketing teams specialized in getting, you know, back consumer feedback and, and user experience feedback and then talking about brand and talking about business models and, and so on and so forth. I would say we have very, very strong marketing teams. So that loop is um, quite fast, but I mean, you know, the brand is strong and it's a high impact title. So, you know, it's everything comes comes with its own impact back quite quite, quite a lot of impact. I agree. The loop is indeed very fast. And uh, as I said, our, our market is a little bit different since uh, I work in King, the mobile industry and uh, our live ops is constant i mean it doesn't go a second where we don't tweak a, <laughs> tweak a level yeah. add new features fix the diorama it's always being changed like this and we have a huge player base like 250 million 300 million users so the data is there so the moment we do a single tweak we will know hey market says this dropped two percent they did not like this react so <laughs> since it's constantly changing on our side and we have a very strong effective marketing team and data analysts it's being adapted on on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's important uh, to to not creating silos, rather trying to you know combine all these things, uh, all of these teams, and and uh, think as like one big um, like friendly operation. So it's not like you 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 developers or you UA person or you you market as a product market. It's it's, it's we. So as 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 soon as as effectively we can share information with the teams, um, the better we can succeed. I think. Brilliant. Well, I think that's a kind of a perfect final statement, really. One hundred percent. So, if you guys don't mind, I think you know we've hit the nail on the head. 